Hi, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning back into the Naturally Nino podcast. I am so excited. I have a very special guest on today, and we are going to be talking about some interesting topics. So, the person that I have here is her name is Sarah, and Sarah is actually a natural health expert, and she doesn't hold back. Um, about anything, (laughs) Uh, because she comes with a rich clinical and integrative health background that helps her to hold an unbiased evidence-based approach toward true healthcare. She shares the fun and empowering side of natural living and healthy eating, along with the more challenging topics such as hidden issues within the food industry and vaccine education. She's been in the game since a young age and always says that natural health found her as she's been dedicated for 16 years, guys. Sarah has been through her own health and emotional struggles, and so much of what she shares is meant to spare others from the same dead-end roads she went down trying to become well. Sarah is working as both a private practice dietitian for her company called The Naturopathic Dietitian, as well as an integrative and functional medicine and a clinical renal dialysis dietitian. She has an organic handcrafted elderberry company and offers a ton of free education through social media. We'll definitely um, have her give a shout out of where you can find her and also share her Instagram handle because she has so much valuable information to offer. Sarah comes with a unique view of modern day healthcare, working on both the front lines of Western approaches as well as integrative approaches in her practice. Her happy place is the forest and soup is her life. She says that she could live on an island eating soup and be happy as a clam. I love that. Apart from having her master's in nutrition and food science, being a registered dietitian nutritionist, registered yogurt teacher teacher of 10 years, and a former college professor of clinical studies for nursing students, she's also a woman of faith and accredits true wellness to God and all he's created for us. Not to mention that Sarah is continuing her education in naturopathy and is earning her doctorate. Sarah, That is amazing. How do you do it all? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Don't sleep much. I, you know, (laughs) I I think I've always had this passion. Um, I I had no idea that natural health was going to find me the way it did. But um, I think I grew up a little differently uh, with my health and my struggles. And that is, that's what led me. Um, and I just kept going. I am somebody who loves to learn so much that sometimes my brain hurts. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I don't really sleep a lot either. (laughs) I I can totally relate. Um, so you said that, uh, nutrition found you. What do you mean by that? So my journey began when I was a child and I had debilitating allergy and asthma um, to the point where I was like anaphylactically allergic to pollen. I would have eczema. I had food allergies um, and I was always loaded up with so much medication because my mom didn't know what else to do with me. And when you have such severe reactions, you really don't have 
choices. And back in in the eight, late 80s and 90s, you didn't have Google and, you know, web searches to go and, and investigate further. You kind of just took medicine at its word. And um, but I always felt horrible. And my mom knew that. I mean, I would take certain things and I would feel so much worse. I felt like a zombie. My gut was wrecked. I couldn't digest foods. So it, I think it was only natural that I ended up, um, you know, as you get a little older and you start to be able to make more decisions for yourself, especially in high school, I realized that I needed to do something. I realized I didn't want to live this way. I didn't want to take, you know, the allergy uh, medicine and the steroids and the nebulizers and everything. Um, and I actually started my journey at a health food restaurant that I ended up managing. I started when I was 16. I was managing by the time I was 17. And I was thrown into this career, really, from there and um, ended up going to school for dietetic science. And um, from there, I was actually went into pharmacy school because I did oh, not, wow. yeah, I wanted to learn the other end of healthcare at that point, because there was things I was seeing even in the food industry that I didn't agree with. And mm-hmm. I wanted to learn this other end of healthcare. So I got in, I moved out of state, I got a great scholarship merit award. And on day three, I knew I couldn't be a part of it. Um, and I waited about nine months just to make sure didn't want to make a rash decision to leave um, <laughs> after moving and uprooting my life. But I knew that I just couldn't be a part of it. And more than ever, my heart was with more nutritional, natural approaches. So I said, that's what I want to do. And around that time, I got sick and ended up with a chronic illness and autoimmune issue. And then I really had to even reevaluate things even more. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah, I can see why nutrition found you now. Um, Mm -hmm. I had a very similar situation and I've mentioned it before, but um, I also went to medical school and it's funny, right? Because when you spend so much time, um, trying to get into somewhere and then it happens and you're there. And I also left my home because I went to go study on an island. And pretty soon I knew that I did not belong there and that I did not think the same way as all the people around me were thinking. And I felt like I was lying to myself and to the core of who I am. But I also didn't want to make a rash decision. And I said, okay, well, you know, I'll, I'll wait it out. I'll see what happens. And then by the end of the semester, I knew that I could not go any further because I had to make a decision of I either take every single thing that I believe um, mm-hmm. in regards to holistic approaches and I throw that down the drain yeah. Or I ha- I leave. Right. And I left. Yeah. Did you get that? And you had that like gut-wrenching feeling mm-hmm. where you were nauseated to even sit in class. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I was like, I, I don't understand this. I mean, a lot of the, you know, people that I was in school with, it didn't make sense to me because I would also, you know, have my lunches and 
I eat a lot of salads and kind of just like whole food, right? And then you look at everyone else and they're eating either a bunch of fast food or they're not eating at all. They're just living on energy drinks. And they're asking me, how in the world do I eat salads all day long? So similar to you, how you can eat soup all the time, I can eat salad all the time. (laughs) And so I'm like, how are you, someone who's supposed to be the future doctor that might treat me, maybe down the line, asking me, how do I eat salad? How do you eat junk food? How do you call yourself, um, well, how are you going to call yourself a doctor in the future, giving advice to people that are coming to you for help, but you live on energy drinks? Right. That to me sounds absolutely bizarre. Yeah. And where is the health in, in that, you know? Right. Um, yeah, that was something, you know, as I got further into my clinical experience, cause even though I didn't pursue pharmacy, I, w- I kind of went, I did things a little backwards. I actually mm-hmm. didn't even want to be a dietitian after I had my bachelor's degree and I could have went on for an internship and sat for my board exam. I really questioned it. And I think I'm so grateful that, that I, I have that awareness to question things, Mm -hmm. um, and really go after truth. Um, and that has been instilled in me too, because I remember being an undergraduate and learning certain things. And I kind of said to myself, you know, it's sort of, I don't know if I agree with that. Like I remember in my time when we were learning about, uh, that was the food pyramid still when I was in school Mm. and then I converted to my plate and all of that. These are very USDA kind of things that they, you know, evidence-based they go toward. And some of the things we would learn, it was, you know, 11 servings of grains a day. And then they were promoting things like corn and, um, as a whole grain, and then I started to realize the genetically modified foods, but they were kind of telling us, well, we don't have much info and um, look at how it's feeding poor countries. And I was just kind of thinking to myself, like, well, because I have a, a background with chemistry and biochemistry, and we know that, like, for instance, corn is going to break down to basically glucose, a sugar. Mm-hmm. Like, do we really consider that like a whole grain, something that's fiber rich, blood sugar stabilizing uh, molecule? And for, there was just certain ways that they would that they would educate us, and I would go home and re research. I would mm-hmm. dig in a little deeper, and I started to realize uh, there was even studies that showed that GMOs were cancer causing, but they were wiped out. They were like hidden. Um, I started to realize that there was a lot of funding that was behind the corn and wheat industry. Then we came forward with things like Monsanto. And now all the puzzle pieces started to come up, to come together. And there I am, you know, 18, 19 years old. Then I'm like 20, 21 years old, getting ready to graduate and realizing I don't think I can preach or promote this. Um, as a dietitian, so I didn't, and I went into pharmacy for that reason. I wanted to see the other end of healthcare oh, and wow. and find my own way. And then um, I basically I realized that after I left pharmacy, I said, "Well, in order to do anything, I do need to get my credential." <laughs> you know, 
And I realized there was this section that was starting with, with more of an integrative and functional medicine approach for dietitians. So I went down that track. I realized that I could do that. But I also, I don't know about you, but did you ever feel mm-hmm. like you had to learn to play by the rules in order to realize like what works and what does, doesn't? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest struggle when you are a truth seeker and you have all this curiosity and um, desire to just learn and absorb everything you possibly can, and then you want to do something about it, you also realize that you're kind of limited because I went into, for example, I went into medicine and I wanted to be a doctor. You know why? You're going to think I'm so crazy, but (laughs) I literally wanted to uh, go in there, get my degree, become a doctor, and then come out and be like, hey, I did all the education that you did. So now I'm validated. Mm -hmm. And guess what? None of it is true. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Because I thought that was the only way that people would listen to me and value my opinion. And I created this thing in my head where if I'm not a doctor, no one will listen to me. Wow. I resonate with that. (laughs) I can't even tell you. Um, And it was hard for me, I think, in the beginning because it was the same thing. But actually, I realized um, as I went further on, look, there are some good doctors out there still. They're Mm -hmm. very hard to find. There's very few of them. Um, When I started to see that even, even certain schools, more natural schools, were still funded by pharmaceutical companies, like their major source of funding or donations. From there, yeah. And then they're writing the textbooks. And then Mm -hmm. they're training the trainers to train the next wave of professionals. And I realized, actually, I have to run far away from it. But I really, you know, I think we still having this clinical background is super important. And that's what I mean to say that you have to know how to play by the rules. You have to understand the jargon, the lingo. Mm -hmm. You have to know how to do research. You have to know how to read research Mm -hmm. um, and sift through it. And unfortunately, too, when you know that, you start to have the unpopular facts. I don't even say opinion because there are so many things that are very evidence-based mm-hmm. and not the unpopular opinion. They're the unpopular facts in right. the research. Um, and it becomes very challenging. And I've learned it's become even more challenging in this day and age to be something uh, in the healthcare profession and not be indoctrinated. They are even going mm-hmm. after RDs now. I watch the indoctrination really? all the time. I take interns. Um, you know, I take interns. I, I, I work with them, usually in a, in a more clinical setting, sometimes private practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I watch it with nearly every profession because um, they, they have to ingrain a certain level of fear and dependency and solution. And look, not all medicine is bad. There is life-saving medicine. There are 100%. There's times when we are too far past a certain point where we do maybe need some kind of, say, um, a chemotherapeutic agent. And Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily promote that. But when someone's got, you know, they're too far gone in a certain point, sometimes we can work with those 
um, more aggressive treatments to bring the body hopefully back to a state of more balance so that we can start to integrate a more natural approach. It really Mm -hmm. just depends. But 100%. And that's the thing. It's like, I, I have a, it's not like a love hate relationship. But you know, I definitely have a lot of appreciation for medicine. But more so than using the word medicine, I want to say, I have a massive appreciation for science. I love science. I am also a science nerd in that regard. And in high school, I was part of this program that was literally called research science. So (laughs) I read a lot of research papers. And then even going to college, I majored in art and child development. And then I was like, no, I'm going to become a doctor. And so I took all the prerequisites for medical school on top of my degree. So like you, I also, I just love to take in as much information as I possibly can. And yeah, I lose sleep sometimes because of it, but I'm fine with it because it's worth it. And it's because of the fact that I just want to know the truth. So if someone tells me something, I'm not going to take their word for it. I'm not going to take their word for it, no matter who they are, even if they are um, a doctor or whatever else, I'm still going to go and do my own research. And you're absolutely right. You have to know how to read those research papers. You have to know what is actually being said. On top of the fact, you have to know who funded the research Mm -hmm. and how was it set up? How was it organized? Um, Does the way that it was constructed lead to a certain outcome, you know, or was it really done purely with good intent? Right. Absolutely. So I, I think there's, you know, a lot of those kind of questions. And I, I do believe there's a lot of doctors that I know that are extremely incredible. I'm not going to take that away from them at all. But um, majority, that's not the case, unfortunately. No. no. And unfortunately, you know, so we deal with insurance companies through my private practice because um, I'm able to accept insurance. So mm-hmm. even I see it to a certain degree um, as far as what is required or expected in order to be reimbursed. So I'm dealing with these very practical, boring, frustrating <laughs> things. <laughs> but then I've also worked for medical practices. I've worked for outpatient hospitals. Um, I've, I've, been, I've done a lot of different things. And I do see that there are certain things where they're like, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't order that test because they don't, won't say it, but it's because they won't get reimbursed or mm. they are, I mean, the amount of uh, diagnoses codes that get put in for certain types of patients just to try to get reimbursed is crazy. And now this person has 14 different psych, you know, psycho psychological diagnoses from anxiety to bipolar to, um, you know, just so many different things. And you're like, mm-hmm. wow, we've just labeled all these different things just to get paid. And, you know, it's very hard to practice in this day and age, um, I think, for 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 medical professionals, um, you know, and, and that goes into a lot of lot of controversy when it comes to like the vaccine schedule and everything. Yeah. um, Let's talk about that a little bit. Actually, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I have been following you on Instagram for quite a while. And I 
like I mentioned in the beginning, you have so much valuable information on your page that you share openly. And I appreciate that so much. And especially during a time like this, when the topic of vaccination is probably one of the most talked about things ever right now. And it's such a controversial topic. So I know this might um, send a lot of people um, crazy (laughs) or not, or maybe it will be a big eye opener for a lot of people. But when you say the vaccine schedule, so what are you referring to? Um, Well, first, I just want to preface too, and just kind of say that unlike other people or professionals, maybe when they, when they talk about vaccines, I really try to come from a place of understanding. I'm always going to share, I'm just going to relay what I found. My goal Mm -hmm. is to just empower people. And I do think that the media has, you know, not just the media, but the schools and the textbooks and everything has created this foundation of fear around not getting a vaccine or, you know, what happens if we don't, but no one really knows why they're so scared. They just Mm -hmm. take it at face value because somewhere, somehow that's what they've been hearing. Um, Right. And if you ask yourself, where did I even develop this concept that I'm truly so scared? Was it really just one doctor that told me one time and that was Mm -hmm. it or has it actually been happening my whole life? So the vaccine schedule essentially back in probably, you know, we're, we're probably about the same age, our parents day, they got about maybe five vaccines. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and that would have been my, my, my parents are like about, late 60s, early 70s, probably about five vaccines. Some some people only got one. Some people got none, but about five. Five was like the maximum. Then you fast forward to around our age of the 80s, even the early 90s, and we're at about 23 to 25 doses. Wow. The children now are over 70 doses by oh like God. 18. Um, now, the quote, one thing, one question is, well, why have we gone up and up and up and up? Mm-hmm. Um, what changed? Um, and then we have to also look at, is it actually making us healthier? Do we see healthier children? Do we see, um, you know, lower rates of things like flu or anything like that? So the schedule is something that raises red flags for, for most people. Like even, even if you're very, very, um, for vaccines or, you know, you feel strongly about it. I think if you can just come with an open mind, you know, try to not get to a point where you feel like you're being attacked, like at your core, you know, but just, genuinely, just like with anything else, you know, like if somebody, if when we were younger, they gave us medication and now they're giving us more medication. Now they're giving the kids like, you know, even triple the medication. You'd have to kind of just be like, well, let me just, let me make sure this is what I want for my kid. Let me make sure this is a wise decision. Let me see, is it all really necessary? Like in a normal situation, you would question that. But Mm -hmm. for some reason, somehow, it's been painted, painted, the picture's been painted 
that we just don't question it. And in fact, if it's brought up, you just get angry. And that's the part that's tricky because emotionally we want to shut down because one of some, there's a part of our belief system that's being questioned and challenged and we don't like it. So we, Mm -hmm. so a lot of people won't go there because it's uncomfortable, but if you can kind of get around that, that feeling of like you're being attacked or demonized or something on either end, then you might actually learn something that you didn't know before. Yeah, that's an amazing um, point to make. I think it's not about really attacking anyone. And I think that's kind of like what has happened over the years. Somehow people have become divided and that's why vaccinations have become such a controversial topic because people have divided so much so that it's either, okay, are you for it or are you against it? What are you? And maybe it's not so black and white. Maybe there's a lot of stuff that is untalked about. And because people don't, and it's untalked about because people don't even want to enter that conversation mm-hmm. because they get so emotional and they let their emotions talk and not really seeing things for what they are, because I'm not saying that vaccinations are 100% bad or evil, right? The question is, why, why did they go so high up in number? Because it, you know, there's, it seems like we're doing all these vaccinations, the doses just have gone up, we're constantly, it's being, now we're talking about mandating it. Why is, Mm -hmm. Why are we having these kind of conversations if people are still getting sick? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that's a great point, too. And I, I think that um, there's a few ways of looking at it. There's like two, I think, core things that come up when, when I hear that. And, you know, the, the I think the two fear-based reasons that have gotten embedded into the average, you know, person's mind is that, Um, well, how can you say no to a vaccine if you can give it to someone like you can give the disease, which actually most things are actually infections. They're infections that clear pretty quickly with on, on the larger majority, these, the actual reactions and and things that can happen are quite low, like the more severe cases, it's actually very low, but you wouldn't know this if you didn't research it. So Mm -hmm. that's number one. The other thing is the fear that you could give it to somebody else, but if the vaccine works, then you should technically be, be immune to it. So then you have to ask the question, do you really believe in it, that it even works? If Mm -hmm. you still believe that if you get it, that someone can give it to you. That's a controversy and that you have to question that a little more. And then the other thing that comes up is herd immunity. They say, well, we're going to wipe out herd immunity, but actually most people don't understand herd immunity anyway. And when you actually understand what herd immunity is, you actually learn that because of all the vaccination, that is actually what has dismantled or is dismantling true herd immunity. So the the it's almost like if you were to just open up your browser and i don't know msn or whatever yahoo is there and there's just headline stories and it said you know the unvaccinated are causing diseases in the vaccinated and you just said ah oh, that's my fear point that's my that's why i hate them 
Mm-hmm. You know, and or you opened it up and the headline said herd immunity is ruined because of the unvaccinated. And you said, yep, OK, here we go. We got an article. Now, that's that's a concern because that's not true informed decision making. That's not taking it a step further, thir- further to see, well, who wrote this? Where are they coming mm-hmm. from? Who are they connected to? Do I actually agree with their opinion? Um is there another side to this? And for the larger majority, we're not doing that. We're not questioning it. And that's, that's so true. That's the so problem. True. That's the problem. And, you know, I think that would probably be a whole other um, podcast topic to go into <laughs> that. Um, but actually, I, you know, if you want, I'll just leave with a few quick things about why those are not accurate. Yeah, I would love that. And I mean, I'm sure there's so much um, that I want to talk to you about. So we'll probably definitely have to break it down to another podcast and do that. Well, another episode, I should say. Um, But yeah, definitely add in whatever you want to add on that. And then um, also, I just wanted to ask you, can you also share a little bit like explain herd immunity for those Mm -hmm. people listening who might not be aware of what that means? Yes, I'll try to keep it as basic as I can, but I can can certainly provide um, more information like, you know, off off the podcast and everything for anyone who needs it. Um, So herd immunity is the concept that a group of people essentially, for instance, back in the day, if one person got the measles and then Sally next door got the measles and Billy up the street got the measles and everyone got the measles, then what would happen was they would it would run its course because the measles is actually an infection it's it's something that unless it's a very rare and severe case you're not getting anything more than maybe a little fever a rash and you're back to normal in about a week and most people who have had the measles um say they, they're like, I don't even really remember it. Like for me, I had the chicken pox as a kid. I remember being a little itchy. I stayed home from school, but I don't even remember it being more than like a couple days where I was actually like uncomfortable. I wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, dying. So anyway, um, yes, rare cases, things can happen. Yes. But that's life. For the average person, the beauty of of getting some kind of a bacteria, an infection, a virus, is that your body naturally has its immune system. And there's about five or six core components to your immune system. And it's not just antibodies. That when that when that threat comes in, your body knows how to process it, process it, and it makes memory. And then if you ever really come in contact with it again, you're okay. You're not going to get it. And in fact, in the case of certain types of infections, if you have natural immunity, meaning that let's say I got the chicken pox, I never got a vaccine, I had the chicken pox, potentially you can then pass that immunity onto your children. So now you've created a whole nother generation of being immune to it. That is herd immunity. So now Mm -hmm. when you've got the one person who is immune compromised, who maybe has uh, cancer or I don't know, a child that is immunocompromised in some way, because there's a herd of immunity all around them of people who can't actually give it to them, they will be protected. That 
is actually herd immunity, which can only come from the natural immune system. When you give a vaccine, you've got two issues. Number one, if it's a live vaccine, you can then spread it. So you actually can be contagious for a certain period of time. So then you got the vaccine and now somebody else who had their vaccine wear off or was not vaccinated and didn't get it can potentially get it. So the thing is, is some of these vaccines, they don't last forever, which is why you have to keep getting them and you have to get the next dose. And, you know, that's okay. Like, so then the question is, like, do they really work then? Then you see people who get it and still get the infection anyway. So yeah, and that's that still work. <laughs> that's the one that blows my mind the most because I can't comprehend or wrap my mind around it where mm-hmm. people get vaccines, but then they end up there are cases where they will then get that thing that they got the vaccine from. So right. I'm like, okay, I'm so confused here. Yeah. I thought the whole point of this was so that you get it to protect it. Right. right, right. And so how in the world could they have possibly yeah. got it then? Yeah. And that's the problem with this artificial herd immunity, which isn't actually a real thing. And I, it's an, it's a, it's a challenging subject. It's something that is going to challenge our cognitive beliefs and everything we've been told. But if you dig a little deeper and you can, um, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny is doing a phenomenal job. Dr. Shiva Ayadori is doing a phenomenal job. Uh, Barbara Lowe Fisher has been doing this for 30 years. Um, you know, there's so many resources that are still available that can explain this. There's actually an incredible um, series um, on, on understanding both sides, pro and con for vaccines. It's coming for free on YouTube on April 20th. I think it's the 20th to the 22nd of 2020. Uh, So in a few days. (laughs) And it's like a seven to nine part series, I want to say. And it's going to be free. So that's an awesome opportunity. But those are the kinds of things where you just want to watch it with just like, you could still say, you know what, I'm going to watch this. I'm still going to stick with the schedule. I don't think this is going to change much for my beliefs, but let me just at least watch it. Let me just see if there's something in there I might want to know for myself, for my family, for my children. Um, Cause that's actually even how I kind of started with this stuff, you know? And just going back to the herd immunity a little bit, the problem with the vaccines in a most basic level too is that if we don't know that the vaccine definitely, and this says it on the package insert, you can have access to the package insert and you can read and confirm all of this. It says that it is not guaranteed that this vaccine will give you immunity to the thing that it says it's going to give you immunity. So if we can't definitely know that it's giving us immunity, plus we know that it wears off, plus we do know that it comes with adverse reactions and side effects that can can and often do happen, then what happens is now we don't really know how that's going to then continue to spread the disease. 
And now we don't really have herd immunity because the only way to truly form herd immunity is natural herd immunity, where your body and all of its immune system, not just antibodies, because the vaccines are only looking at antibodies, which is one part of the immune system. That's only one part, but there's many other parts. If you forget about all of that, you confuse your immune system. And now we start to see autoimmune issues, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Whole other topic again. But now we have destroyed herd immunity because of vaccines. And there's not much natural immunity going on anymore because we want a mandate and we want to allow it. And we're not understanding these other sides. There's, There's more to the puzzle, there's right. more to this than just get a shot and you're you're covered. It's just not that simple. And what would you say are some of the major side effects of vaccines? Oh my gosh. Um, I would strongly recommend that uh, you check out the vaccine inserts, the mm-hmm. manufacturer inserts, because on there is actually going to list that. Uh, Guillain-Barre is one that comes up. Um, autism won't be written on there, but um, encephalitis and brain issues, neurological issues, asthma, um, different types of leukemias, blood disorders, cancer. Um, they have never, you look on the insert, they are not mm-hmm. tested for carcinogenesis, carcinogenic compounds cause cancer. It's never been checked for mutagenesis, mutagenic meaning that it can mutate your genes. Even though it can. Right. Okay. So we, so they actually, we can't say that they're actually safe because if you can't prove that it doesn't cause cancer and you can't prove that it doesn't mutate genes and you can't show that it's actually safe and you can't, and you have to list side effects and you do list a potential side effect of death, you can't actually say that it's actually safe. And to take it a step further, when you get into things like ingredients, all you have to do is break down each ingredient. And if you don't know what it means, it's just because they code it with another name because that's their, that's their way of, of hopefully diverting the attention. But if you look up MRC5 and you look up WI38 and you look up polysorbate 80 and beta-propiolactone, you will actually see what they are. And you'll see that beta-propiolactone is listed as a carcinogenic compound. And I'm just pulling one ingredient, one ingredient in this concoction of ingredients. And right there, if you go and look it up on government-based websites, it tells you that it is a known cancer-causing agent. So we didn't test the vaccine to prove that it doesn't cause cancer just in case one of the ingredients had the potential to do that. But then we're listing not just one, but dozens of ingredients that we are known to cause cancer, but we're not proving that it doesn't cause cancer. And yet we see this skyrocketing rates of childhood cancer Mm -hmm. and we won't look into that. Why? Right. So many questions. And I, I mean, everything that you're saying, it just 
like I it's just so bizarre to me and I I want to know why also like I want to know who's actually behind all of this you know like why are we not informing the public why is this information not at the forefront why is this it's kind of written right like it's almost like um when you start to get into nutrition and healthy eating, right, you become super obsessed with reading the ingredients on the labels. But prior to that, you just would look at the box um, and say, oh, it says natural on it. When I discovered the fact that natural was a, <laughs> yeah. was a bot term, yes, my mind almost like did like, I don't even know, 180 or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> because my whole everything just like got twisted upside down. And I was like, wait a second, what? natural could be bought anything could be have natural on the box and then when I discovered that you have to actually read the ingredients Mm -hmm. my whole world changed so it's like almost kind of like that similar concept of like how you said well yeah you can just you can ask them to go and read the label and like it'll say the ingredients that are listed on there but that's not the part that's talked about right Mm -hmm. and for example um I think one of like the biggest things right now also, and I was talking to one of my best friends. Um, she has, um, the cutest, cutest 18 month year old baby girl right now. And she actually got kicked out of her pediatrician's office because she refuses to vaccinate her child. And she is getting so much backlash, like bullied, you know, and can you imagine what that does to a new mom who? They know these two sides of the spectrum. They are choosing to not vaccinate, but then they're getting all of this hatred and backlash. You would think that as a physician, your job is to approach your uh, patients with care, right? And understanding, not bullying and harassment. And I, I mean, I don't even know how to even approach this topic or even like, what, what do you say to these moms or what do you say to the people that choose to not vaccinate their children, especially with the way public schools are making it so difficult for parents to even say no. It's like, yeah, you have the option of saying no, but Hey, guess what? If you say no, uh, we can't take your child and enroll them into school. Yeah. Well, th- these have been the fears, you know, for for a lot of the pioneers in this, like a lot of the physicians who have come forward and medical professional and scientists, um, immunologists who were brave enough to come forward for 30 years, 25 years, the last 10 years, you know, and try to bring some light to it and educate people. And no one wanted to hear it. But here's the thing. When I made the decision to be more open about it, I was like, man, this is either going to sabotage my career (laughs) or, you know, but it got to a point where the reality is, is that vaccine injuries do exist. And I will say that again, vaccine injuries are real. Nobody, no, there are no anti-vaxxers. That's a really derogatory term. There are people who are, pro-choice, pro-medical freedom, pro-constitutional rights, pro-bodily autonomy, you know, pro-wanting to be in charge of their child and their, their health and know what's best. 
But nobody becomes somebody who doesn't want to vaccinate because they just woke up and felt like it. Most of the people who have ended up there have had a catastrophic experience. A lot of the people who choose not to vaccinate or have halted vaccinating themselves or their children is because something happened and they couldn't deny it. It was screaming in their face. So, so many people have been trying to warn others and just shed light to it to just be like, go make an informed decision before you just take it at face value because there's no other pharmaceutical product in the world where you can say, you don't even have this, here's the solution. And and then put all these chemicals and not have to show safety studies, not have to do a double blind placebo study. And you can't even sue them. They are all, they have also been mm-hmm. rid of any liability. That's scary. That's concerning. That should raise red flags. Even if you go and do your research and you still agree that, that it's a good thing and you want to do it, it almost never happens. I'm going to be honest. But so now we've entered into this age where now we're really starting to see what people were trying to warn us of come to fruition. And where we're going next is that eventually the goal would be to have adult mandates. They're going to start at the children, but the goal is the adults. And um, there's a lot behind it. Again, probably more detail for another topic, another day, Mm -hmm. but all we can do is actually, first off, educate ourselves, empower ourselves, decide where you truly stand and don't let anyone else decide for you. And, um, you know, if you feel like, wow, you know what, actually, I don't really agree with this, then as difficult as it is, we have to start sharing our voice. For those who were in Trenton, New Jersey fighting, um, that was our voice heard. We were the only state when it was going on to to have that bill halted, the S2173 bill halted. And we fought for the people who were not yet aware or not yet willing, because even though they may hate this side of it, even though they might not want to listen to it, even though they may disagree, we know what's coming. We know that it can be someone's child next. It could be our own child. It could be you know, that at, they were meeting all their milestones and now all of the sudden they're not functional cognitively. Or what we forget is that it's not just, it's not just autism. It's not just neurological disorders, which are horrible, but it's also the other risk factors are all the anaphylactic reactions going on. It's all the um, childhood diabetes um, type one diabetes that's happening. There's just certain things where if you actually, actually trace the ingredients plus the adverse reactions, and then you see the rates of, 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 uh, illness that's going up, there is a direct correlation there. Right. So, and it's, yeah, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt you. Um, I was just going to add that, you know, they say that, um, And I want to say they say, meaning the people that want to mandate vaccines, that it's meant to help the population, right? And it's so that people don't get sick 
as often, or it's for our own benefit so that if we do come across this thing that we will be protected from it, even though there's a chance that we won't be protected, but we're going to hope that, you know, we will be protected for it. And we spend, you know, they spend so much money is thrown into this industry and fighting to mandate it. I mean, the amount of money that, especially all the stuff that's coming out right now and hearing the lump sums that Bill Gates has been throwing into this industry and building all of this, it's almost like, well, why didn't you take all of that money and throw it into preventative things, right? Why, if you really, if the government really cares about the people, why are we, like you said, selling products that have ingredients that are carcinogenic? Why are we pumping sugar into the population and advertising? Why are we spending so much marketing dollars and advertisement dollars to market children and feeding them with sugar that's leading to all of these issues that are completely destroying their immune system. Yeah. Why? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that's also where parents can start to feel really empowered and just the average person when they realize that we actually are designed with such an intelligent immune system that if we just take care of it, for the most part, we're we're going to be able to combat and overcome and we're actually going to get stronger immune wise. Um, And, you know, it's pretty incredible because, you know, they're Last year, there was over 300 vaccines in the pipeline, meaning they're looking at them and they want to roll them out, you know. Now, there's over 360 or so thousand viruses out there. So which one are we protecting against? And then you look at all of the things that are out there, like uh, nobody's scared of leprosy, but leprosy still exists. (laughs) I don't know if people know that. There's right. just not a vaccine for it right now anyway. <laughs> but but back in the day, if you've ever read like, you know, the Bible or you've ever heard about leprosy, then you know how feared it was. It was like, put the leper on his own island, you know. Well, mm-hmm. that still exists, but no one's afraid of it because there's no vaccine. And for the most part, people don't get it because the biggest reason why we are we're heading in a healthier state with less polio and, you know, all these other things that we're vaccinated against is because we had better sewage, we had better plumbing, and we had better infection control measures that were implemented. We were a really dirty place before all that, where everything spread through water and people and fecal matter and things like that. So Mm -hmm. there was spikes in certain things. But But when we improve that, if you look, there's actually graphs and the rate of decline for certain things like polio or measles, mumps, rubella, these types of things that we get uh, immunized against, they were already on a sharp decline, nearly eradicated. And then you see vaccines introduced. They were already on a sharp decline. 
Hmm. And there is information available as to how and why that happened. And it was not because of the vaccine. And when we look at some of the dangers and things that we've, they've happened where they were giving polio vaccines and causing the worst form of polio. Not all polio involves restrictions, these like strictures that happen within the, you know, paralysis of, of muscles and joints. That's a very rare case, but that's all you really ever see. If you open a textbook and you look up polio as you see that, but they gave vaccines and totally screwed up when they did that. And they went, oops, that's, this is, that's the typical answer. Right. When a pharmaceutical company screws up, it's, oops, okay. Always. I, I guess since <laughs> we've been made, we'll pull it from the market. But yet they well, will not pull it. They won't pull these. They'll just create more with less, yeah. less uh, standards. There are no standards. There are no standards, no. And I mean, I, I can't even um, watch commercials because – Everything inside of me goes on fire. No joke. Mm-hmm. Um, I literally cannot watch them because I am just absolutely outraged. And the fact that this is this is real life, this is playing, and it's people are actually watching this and believing this stuff, and then going to their doctor and literally asking them about it when they literally just made this beautiful picture. It's always um, a landscape view. And it's a guy or a girl, whatever, and they're like raw, like running or jogging in the grass, and they're so happy, full of life. And then they have this like weird name because it's got to have some cool name that makes yeah. no sense at all. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of it, and by the way, yeah. you're probably gonna get right, and just mm-hmm. <laughs> really fast. Yeah, and the fact that there's like this is still a thing can we just like just that alone this is still a thing yeah I know how but then every year guess what it's the same exact commercial same exact picture same exact side effects it's a different name why because something happened they discovered something with that drug and then it got a lawsuit and then something happened and they're like shit have to shut it down we have to, okay, this drug no longer exists, but guess what, guys? We got something new. We got something better. But And it's always, that's what our society is after. It's about something new, something better, something new, something better, something new, something better. Hey, maybe something new, something better isn't always the answer. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, our grandparents or our great-grandparents or you know, things that were something that was just like a basic thing of like, um, eat well, you know, don't overeat on sweets, um, exercise daily, drink a lot of water, don't do soda, um, read, read, um, be curious about life, spend time outdoors, get some vitamin D from the sun, you know, um, maybe that's all we really need to allow our bodies to actually heal themselves and thrive, right? I mean, how about all of those cases where people who have diabetes, even people who have type 1 diabetes, were able to literally reverse their diabetes by developing a healthier lifestyle and eating plant-based, or people who had cancer in like 
a really bad form. And then literally the cancer just went away because they completely changed their lifestyle. Why don't we talk about that? Why aren't those at the forefront? Why aren't there commercials about that? Exactly. Yeah. And the unfortunate answer after being in medical and uh, renal dialysis, because I've watched so many failed drugs, dialysis drugs where they had aluminum in them and then they were giving them to our patients and they went, oops, that killed them. <laughs> it killed, that's killing the patients. So they oh came out with God. another but it, you're absolutely right. And the thing is, there's no, there's not, there's no profit in it. You can't, you can't profit. I mean, no matter what, like at the end of the day, vitamin C doesn't make them money. They can't patent something that God gave us and right. that is found in nature. They can chemically try to alter it or mimic it, but they cannot um, just go ahead and take that and, and call it vitamin C and make a buck off of it. It doesn't happen. So, you know, for, I want to talk a little bit about food and diet and lifestyle for a second, if that's okay. Yes, please. Yes. That's actually what I wanted to dive in last. Like what can people, what can people actually do and take control of their bodies? I would love for you to um, kind of share some light on that. Yeah. So, um, going back to, you know, everyone's diet is going to be a little different. I think one of the biggest questions I get all the time is what's the best diet. And I (laughs) say to an extent for the most part, I mean, everyone's a little individualized and it depends too, if you're coming at me when you have an autoimmune disorder and you're not breaking down certain foods, you might not follow the vegan diet right now because your body's not set up to break down plant raw plant proteins, let's just say. Or I have people on the opposite end saying wanting to do keto or uh, carnivore or, you know, something like that. But it's also really not the best method for maybe what they're dealing with. So it is individualized. But for the most part, we do see that you need good, healthy fats you need good, mm-hmm. clean drinking water. And I'm not talking just Brita filters. Um, it's honestly very challenging to get the junk out of our water right now. Um, I don't love plastic bottles, you know, but mm-hmm. um, the there are filtration systems that are better. Um, and not all of them kill the bank either. So, you know, Berkey's pretty good. Um, there's Pristine, which is excellent, but more pricey. Zero water is, is, is a comparable one, but good, clean drinking water. We need Mm -hmm. mineral balance. We need our minerals. Minerals are so vital. I talk about this all the time and you're going to find your minerals and trace minerals in things like your sea salt, like even um, your, all of your herbs. Herbs are amazing at those trace minerals. And if you've ever noticed, say like rosemary, parsley, sage, there are these just smaller plants. They're not mm-hmm. the big plants. They're smaller and yet they're powerhouses for nutrients in those special little micro doses of what we need. Um, so we need plenty of minerals and then you can get minerals to add back to your water too, which is a, a good idea. Um, depending on the type of filtration you have, like I said, good fats, you're going to want, you know, a good balance of protein and carbohydrate. I don't love very low carb diets in certain situations. They are reasonable, but for the average person, 
who's in adrenal insufficiency, has HPA access issues, has, you know, all the cortisol issues or chronic fatigue and autoimmune, low carb diets, you might feel better for a period of time, but then it doesn't work the best long term. Um, reasonable though, you know, sweet potatoes mm-hmm. are okay. You know, things that are whole foods, um, normal, just way of eating, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Not too much though. And then of course, you know, you want to organic, hey, I'm the first person to say it's not perfect, but right. it's kind of the best that we got for the average person, you know, and then I use my Thieves cleaner. Um, I I do all everything. I clean with Thieves, which is uh, Young Living, and mm-hmm. I clean with Thieves. I wash my fruits and veggies with that, and I do feel that it's this extra layer of kind of getting the residual junk. Because don't forget, it's also stuff that's coming, the pollution that's coming from our skies onto mm-hmm. our food. It's not just that they're not spraying with it. You have to look at the soil, so it's challenging. Uh, certain supplements, when you think uh, vitamin C, magnesium, we are super deficient in magnesium. There's a lot of different magnesium versions, so you have to find the right one for you. Um, sunshine, you know, super important, like you said. Um, plenty of fresh fruits and veggies. I mean, you 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 got to be eating them. They're they are alive. They're literally alive food. It's okay if you cook them, but like we need those fruits, veggies, fiber, super important. Um, you know, and, and it's the, the fats I want to go back to, because one of the Mm -hmm. things that with fats, when I was, I think first started studying nutrition, we were still under the premise that saturated fat was bad and good fat was good and bad fat was bad. Um, there's so much misinformation out there about fats and so many, especially of our older generations are still very scared of fat. They're very on the like, yeah. low fat <laughs> still, which is challenging, but our, every single cell in our body has a, it's called a phospholipid bilayer. It's a literally mm-hmm. a layer of, of, um, fat on like a fat layer on the outside and a water loving little layer on the inside. Our cells are bathed in fat. I'm not talking Mm -hmm. about deep fried garbage, you know, but when it comes to, you know, your avocado oil, your avocado, your coconut oil, um, even if you're doing grass fed meats and stuff, that's okay. Um, Not in this super excess. If you're doing more plant-based, you've got to find a way to still get your omegas and, Mm -hmm. you know, those healthy sources, because that is going to help with inflammation. It's going to help with pain. It's going to help with your brain health. It's going to help with your cellular health. If your cells can't communicate on an internal and external level, then we're in trouble. So we really need that. And I think that's something that people are still a little focused on getting high protein, low carb, moderate fat. Um, And there's just so much I could say, but I do think that that's a really important one. You've got to bring in your superfoods, you know, the stuff that, that really gives us a boost. And when it comes to supplements, it would be great if we were in a state and, and time where we could really just get all our nutrition from food but practically most of us can't. And that's not our yeah. fault. That's not our fault. 
that's the fact that it's more nutritionally devoid than it used to be. Right. So just so unfortunate. And that's why, are there any kind of supplement brands that you would recommend as being safe? Um, it really more efficient, I should say. Yeah. I go to different ones depending on what I'm trying to do and also the person I'm working with. Um, because we have to also look at things like methylation factors, uh, any genetic SNPs that we may have, um, Mm -hmm. do they need a methylated form of B12 or folic acid? Um, and then based on that, we might want more of a whole food brand, like actually food-based, or we might want something a little different. So I do, um, I use Zymogen some in my practice, which is something that is third-party tested and healthcare providers can get it. Thorn is pretty good. Life Extension has been pretty good. Look, it's not going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um I try to do real herbs whenever I can. Mountain Rose Herbs is a good company. Um, there's little shops. I've, I've lived all over the United States and different places in the world. So I have little shops, little pot, like herbal apothecaries that I still order from. Um, oh, I love that. Yeah, it really depends. Um, I do a, a, natu- a, a zeolite. I do TRS. So I use that for my zeolite. I do mostly Young Living for everything from supplements to cleaning to the oils. And I do a lot of natural uh, restoration with my oils because they are therapeutic grade and they work. And I was deceived by a lot of the labels of other companies for years, even me. (laughs) And I wouldn't get better, you know, taking certain things. So when I sought out for some of the best places out there, um, you know, I did f- eventually find them and, you know, I can always, I can always send you a list too, if you have like a specific uh, question or a product recommendation. Absolutely. I will definitely be asking. Um, what would you say, um, I guess for someone, for example, who's listening into this and have been inspired to really um, start doing their research and, also understand how their body works. So you said that it really, what you would recommend really depends on, let's say the methylation or what other things are happening to that person. Um, Would you recommend that they go get some kind of a test to to find um, all of this out that they could bring to their dietitian or to like, where would you what kind of guidance, I guess, would you give them on how to start um, to figure out what they have going on um, with their body and their genes and what would be the best thing for them? Yeah. Well, if you're talking about genes in general, genetic testing is very expensive and it can be hard to come by and your average physician's not going to want to order it. Um, okay. You can typically, you, the easier one to five, find would be like the MTHFR. Um, which has to do with the way that folate is broken down. Um, It's the way it's methylated, we call it. So that one you can do. You're more likely to get a test if you're working with, say, a functional medicine doctor or um, some chiropractors can order labs. Um, And some of it is going to be out-of-pocket expenses. Um, The other thing that you can do is you can work with somebody – 
that works more integratively and go through it and see if they can narrow down the suspicions they may have as to, because, you know, people come to me, they'll tell me what's going on, you know, the chronic fatigue and the brain fog and the pain and the inflammation and they can't digest. And based on that, it helps to give me a starting point. So I might tell them, bring me the blood work you have, whether you've got thyroid panels or whatever it is, tell me what your doctor has already told you. And then, and let's look at it and see if we can take it a step further. Um, some of these things do get costly and I do understand that. So that's why, you know, you do want to try to <laughs> respect that. Um, of course. if you're really at a dead end and you've done everything and you've never really been tested for anything, sometimes you just have to go get that testing because how are you ever going to get to the root of it? If we don't see something, um, right. In my practice, we have something called Dutch testing, which looks at your hormone panel. And it's actually um, something that can get sent to your house. You don't have to really go anywhere or see a doctor or anything, but you buy the kit essentially. Um, So Dutch testing is something that we work with. And then I use something called Zyto technology. And Zyto uses galvanic skin technology, which you can look up a little more. Um, and that's been very, very helpful to steer us in the right direction. It's not going to treat or diagnose, but mm-hmm. it helps to give me a better picture of where we need to go with a wellness plan. Um, and from that, you know, we've been able to say, okay, you know, this is showing this, this, and this is out of, is, is technically marked as a stress response. Have you been, have you ever been tested for um, thyroid insufficiency? And they might say, oh, you know what, years ago, the doctor said I I might have something going on, but I haven't checked it in years. So then we might say, you know what, why don't you go get that complete panel? So there's tools to help us figure out too, where do we start and where do we go with this? Um, yeah. Mom. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's a lot of great information. And where would you recommend, let's say, a a mom who doesn't want to vaccinate their child, like what would you recommend she does? Um, Number one, you have to do all your research. You have to know what your current rights are and you need to stay on top of it. It varies state by state. So you'll need to know what your state is stating. Um, (laughs) Usually family medicine doctors are a little more lenient. The um, insurance reimbursement is different typically from my understanding for them, mm-hmm. um, at a pediatrician, they, the, the, um, insurances will reimburse based usually if a certain percentage of the patients are 100% vaccinated, then they will get a bonus on every single child verse. And it, let's say it's, I know in like 2017, it was like 60% vaccination rate for blue cross blue shield, I believe. And I actually read it. I mean, I, I read these things. It's I'm not right. It's literally. You're not just like reading the yeah. headline. No, <laughs> it, it was literally their reimbursement rates for everything. It's not just vaccines. That is wild. It's, it's, it's for anything. So if they had about so a wild. 60%, 100% vaccination rate, they got $3,000 on top of, on, for every single child. If they were at 59%, they got zero on every single child. Wow. So in order to even stay afloat, and like I said, I'm not saying it's only vaccines. So family medicine doctors seem to, some of them will work a little differently. Um, Mm -hmm. You can see 
a good a chiropractor, a doctor of chiropractor too, um, you know, and you can still have a family medicine doctor or pediatrician, but I have a lot of, of new mamas that, you know, and moms that have been doing this for three, four kids already. And, you know, on, on average, they usually are just going to their more natural physician, whether it's a naturopathic doctor or a chiropr- doctor of chiropractor mm-hmm. or something like that for all the little things. And then God forbid something bigger happen. They do have like a family medicine doctor, you know? Right. Because the other, um, the main thing, I guess, um, especially since you're, you know, you are a practicing dietitian and everything, um, especially for moms who are very, you know, conscious about what they're putting into their child's body and very aware of a lot of things. Um, what would, you know, is getting nutritional advice from a doctor, the same thing as getting it from a dietitian? Because I know that um, there's not a lot of nutritional training that happens um, in medical school. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you want an expert, then you go to an expert and doctors, 90, probably 99.9% of them are not experts. So, I mean, if you, if you take somebody that has had one day, I think the maximum as of like last year, the maximum training for nutrition in a, in a medical program was one week. And that's like, you know, we're talking like eight or so years of schooling one week. Mm-hmm. So if you think that's an expert and you trust them to stay on top of all of the nutritional things that are constantly changing science wise and everything, then, Hey, go for it. But I'm going to imagine they're probably not reading so much of the nutrition journals as they are the medical journals because, you know, um, and, are they really sifting through? Are they really talking about it every single day? Once in a while, you found a doctor that really woke up and they were fascinated. My very first job was in New York City at a happening practice, medical practice. And that physician, he knew the value of a dietitian and he wanted his patients to see a dietitian. He was like, Sarah, listen, my patients, 60 plus percent of them don't need me. They don't need another medication. They need to change their life and their diet. He goes, Mm -hmm. I don't have the time. And I only know so much. Like Mm -hmm. I can only tell them eat less carb, don't eat so much steak and eat more veggies. He's like, that's about the extent of my education for my diabetics. Right. Right. Um, And there's so much psychology to getting someone to change or understand food. There's a lot of behavioral and psychological things. I've done a lot of of more like psychology training too, to really understand because doctors sometimes can't understand. I don't understand. Stop eating donuts. Stop eating, you know, donuts. And and they don't understand why the patient isn't doing that if they know it's killing them and their blood sugars are 500. (laughs) But right. There's a lot deeper root. I mean, I worked as, um, I still see eating disorder clients too. And oh my God, that's going to be a whole nother topic. I'm can't yeah, wait for that but, episode. You know, but, so the, yes. And that's the whole thing though. You, you psychologically food means so much more to us. So mm-hmm. we got to start the kids off young. And for the most part, um, if you, 
if you give the child all the time the processed food and the cookies and stuff, they're going to crave it because biologically, biochemically, their bodies are going to want that pleasure response that happens in the brain. But if you don't really introduce much of that and you stick with the whole foods and you're giving them the good foods, their bodies will like that. They, the taste will adapt to it. And their immune system and their brains and, and nervous system and everything is going to be wired the way that it was intended to. 100%. Yes. And there, I mean, I, there's so much more I want to say on that, but um, I think we're going to close, stop this episode here. Um, I think that there is so much information that you shared in this episode that is really going to speak to people. And I thank you so much for taking the time to do this. And I think I will definitely be inviting you to come back and dive more into this whole like relationship uh, between food and our psychology, because I I'm so into that. And it, it, that's a whole nother conversation that it's so much to talk about. I love it. And its own beast, uh, which I definitely would want to have its own segment and dedicated time to really dive into all of that. Um, I think that um, what you are doing is incredible. I would love for you to share where people can find you so that they could also follow along um, and see what you do. Yeah. Um, so I'm mainly on Instagram. I do have a Facebook too. I'll be honest. I'm not crazy about Facebook, <laughs> but for Instagram, I'm the underscore naturopathic underscore dietitian. So it's the underscore N A T U R O P A T H I C underscore dietitian D I E T I T I A N. Um, and then of course, um, I do see people privately. So I have a private practice, which during this whole COVID thing where I'm not really seeing people in person, but I'm doing all my phone, um, you know, sessions and everything. And I also have my website, which is www.naturopathicrd.com. Um, and on there is where you can get my elderberry and there's some information on there. I try to put up there too. Thank you so much, Sarah. I will link all of that to this episode um, once we go live. And um, another question is, do you only see patients that live in New Jersey or do you also accept out-of-state patients as well so that people listening in can um, know if they can reach out to you? I actually see people all over the world. <laughs> Perfect um, answer. <laughs> yeah, I can't accept insurance out-of-state. Um, okay. Yeah, but um, but I see people all over the United States. I see some people in other countries. And of course, I see people in New Jersey. I love that. That was the answer that I was hoping for. <laughs> um, and if they want to reach out to you and get your services, do you recommend they go through Instagram or through your website? Instagram is actually probably the easiest way. Um, they okay. can also send an email and that would be good. Um and that's it. Yay. Thank you so much, Sarah. And I will talk to you later. Thank you everyone for um, listening. And I hope that this episode really inspired you to go ahead and start doing your own research and really dive deep. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Nino. Bye.